Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. But when things in life don't go as we planned, you know, when there's that unexpected bump in the road or that major detour in our life that takes us a different direction, takes us down a path that we didn't think that was where we wanted to go. One of the verses and what we're going to look at today is one of the verses that, you know, gives us comfort and provides some direction for us. It's Romans 8, 28, one that we lean on a lot. You know, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, that verse helps us know that, you know, God's in control. Things will work out for the better. But whether in a situation like this where, you know, it's, it's relatively easy to see, okay, God has something better in plan for us. We wonder, you know, what is that? What about more difficult situations in our life? You know, to be a family member of one of those four college students in Idaho in the senseless killing and wonder why, you know, whether it's a school shooting or whether it's an unfaithful spouse or the loss of a job or maybe a house fire or a myriad of the negative things that happen in our life, how can good come of these things? You know, some pretty tough questions that we can face in life. And to be honest, Romans 8 can only provide us some limited answers. But we're going to look at those today and we're going to look at what this verse really says to us. Because I think sometimes, well, I think often, this, per, this verse gets misapplied, it gets taken out of context, that we look at the wrong aspect of the verse. You know, I think much of what we do that creates an issue for us in applying this to our life is that we look at the wrong part of the verse. We want to jump to that part of the verse where it says good. That's what we want to focus on. We want all things to be good. But it's the wrong starting point. It's the wrong emphasis of this verse. And to get to that right emphasis of what this verse is really saying to us and how we can properly apply it, we need to break it down. And we may need to go back to English class. And I thought about getting a hold of Pam before uh, this uh, sermon, but I'll just take my chances. We need to do some diagramming of this verse. We need to look at it and break it down to its simplest form. And the most important part of this verse, in my opinion, is two words. God works. That's the subject, that's the verb that we need to look at. God works. He works in our lives. He works throughout history. That is the main point. 
Everything else in the verse hinges on those two words. God works. You know, when and where does God work? Paul says in all things God works. What's the purpose of God's work? Or what does God's work bring about? It should bring about our good. God is working for our good. But it is God that works. You, know, you may see some posters on, about this verse sometimes where it says all things work together for good. All things don't work together for good. God works for all things to bring about good. Now, and again, it doesn't say that all things are good. There are things that are bad. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But God works to bring about good. And there are a number of examples in Scripture where God uses some difficult situations some things that at the time in that person's life, they probably thought, what in the world's going on? Why is this happening? The same kind of questions that we would have when things are difficult. I want to look at a couple of those. We're going to look at them just briefly. You remember the story of Joseph. Joseph, the coat of many colors and his dreams and his brothers are jealous of him. And they wind up selling him in uh, slavery. And Joseph is mistreated while he's getting sold into slavery. That's a pretty big mistreatment to begin with. But when he goes to Egypt, he's mistreated through various circumstances there, suffers various hardships, a lot of difficulties. He winds up in prison in Egypt. Eventually, though, he rises to be the second in command in Egypt. And because of that, Egypt becomes prepared for a famine that, got, that, uh, that is coming on the world. And the famine strikes the world, and it's ex- extremely difficult. But Egypt is so well prepared because of Joseph that they not only have food for their country, they have extra food to sell to, to surrounding nations and to surrounding peoples. And eventually... Joseph's brothers come to him to buy food and they don't realize it's through him and we don't have time to go into uh, all of those details but Joseph takes care of them. He provides for them. And the, the brothers are a little nervous thinking, okay, at some point Joseph is going to get us. <laughs> we treated him pretty bad. But Joseph doesn't. Joseph's father dies, and the brothers think, well, he was kind to us now, you know, while dad was alive, but now that dad's gone, oh. Still, Joseph treats them with kindness. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph tells his brothers, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Joseph's life, his brother's lives, his dad's life were saved from that famine because of all the difficult things that Joseph went through and how he responded to those things. 
Paul gives us another example in the New Testament. In Philippians 1, verse 12, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul doesn't outline in Philippians what's happened to him, but if we go back to the book of Acts and look, what's happened to Paul? Well, he's been beaten up. He's been thrown in jail. He's been shipwrecked. He's on house arrest now. He says all these things, all things we'd put into a bad category of things that happened to him. Paul says because of all these things, the gospel's advancing. In other words, God is working through all of these difficult things. Paul endured a lot of hardship in those travels uh, to spread the gospel. But God was working. You know, we've looked at uh, the book of Jonah a couple times. And I think Jonah is a good illustration as well of how God works. And a good illustration of, of uh, Romans eight twenty eight. You know, and to begin with, I challenge you to read through the book of uh, Jonah multiple times. And I don't know if you've uh, been doing that, but if you have, one of the patterns that you may see from the book of Jonah is all the different ways that God acts. Um, in some of the general ways God spoke, he sent a message twice to Jonah to go to Nineveh. He, God and Geneva, God and Jonah have a you know conversation in chapter four about where Jonah's at in his life. So God is communicating. God calms the sea. God keeps Jonah from drowning. God keeps Jonah alive in the belly of the great fish. God answers prayer multiple times in the book of Jonah. And in fact, that's what I actually initially intended to preach about, so maybe some other day. But the sailors prayed in chapter 1. Jonah prays in chapter 2. The Ninevites pray in chapter 3. God answers all of those prayers. There's also, though, some very specific wording and some verses that I want to point out. In Jonah 1.4, it says, The Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And in Jonah 1.17, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And then in chapter 4, in three different occasions, in verse 6, it says, Then the Lord provided a leafy plant. Verse 7, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. You know, taken out of context, when we would look at those things, most of them we would put in a category of bad things to happen to a person. I mean, being on a ship that's in a so storm that's so severe it's, going, it's about to be sunk, we normally wouldn't consider that in the good category. But God's calming of the sea brings some sailors to recognize that he's God. So there's some good that came from that. Now, being swallowed by a giant fish is not something that I would consider good. Now, you know, but it did save Jonah from drowning. One author, one commentator suggests that when Jonah was swallowed by the great fish, that's when Jonah recognized that God was saving him. 
I'm not sure how he comes to that conclusion. Now, if, if I'm ever in the ocean drowning, and all of a sudden some giant sea creature swallows me, my first thought is not going to be, oh, God's taking care of me. Now, you know, maybe with some perspective or some, you know, hindsight of thinking about the story of Jonah, maybe, mm, probably not. <laughs> I think, you know, that it's gone from bad to worse. But really, it was a positive for Jonah. You know, we see these things initially as negative. You know, the only thing on that list in those verses where it says God provided um, that we would put in a good category, at least initially, would be the leafy plant. You know, that weed that grows up over Jonah and provides him some uh, relief from the sun. But God takes that away. It was all part of a lesson that God was trying to teach Jonah. You know, there's a Chinese fable that maybe you've heard before. It's, uh, it's been around quite a while. It's been around a long time. But I think it illustrates the difficulty for us to put things in a category of good or bad in our life. And the story goes like this. It was a farmer and his son, and they had a beloved stallion who helped them earn a living on their farm. But one day, this horse runs away. The neighbors come and they, you know, they say, oh, this is terrible. Your horse ran away. What, 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 what bad luck? And the farmer replies, maybe, maybe not. A few days later, their horse returns and it brings with it several other wild horses. So the neighbors come over and say, wow, what great luck. Your horse came back and it brought more horses. How fortunate. The farmer says, well, maybe, maybe not. A few days later, well, it's actually a few weeks later, the farmer's son was trying to break one of the mares and she threw him to the ground, one of these wild horses, and, and breaks his leg. And again, the villagers come by and say, oh, man, that's terrible. Your son broke his leg. Wow, that, that's, that's horrible. The farmer says, maybe, maybe not. A few weeks later, while the son's still recuperating from a broken leg, soldiers from the National Army come through the town recruiting all the able-bodied men for the army. They didn't take the father's son because he's still recovering from a broken leg. Yeah, the villagers of neighbors all say, hey, wow, that's lucky. What, what good fortune that they didn't take your son. And the farmer continues to reply, maybe, maybe not. You see, what appears on the surface to us that we might categorize are good or bad Either way, has some unforeseen consequences. And it's difficult, if not impossible, at least at this time in our life, from our perspective, it's always difficult to know how something that happens in our life will affect the rest of our life. You know, for each of these situations, whether it's Joseph or Paul or Jonah, you know, we have the benefit, not just of hindsight, but even more importantly, we have the benefit of divine inspiration. 
you know, a, the word from God to say, hey, this is what happened and this is why and this is what came as a result. So as a word of warning, a word of caution, you know, it's, it's tough, again, if not impossible for us, unless you have a divine word from the Lord, to look at the events that happen throughout the world or in your life and to be able to specifically pin it down to say God caused that. Now God is at work. God doesn't cause everything. But God works in our life. We know that God caused the storm, that he caused the great fish, that the plant and the worm and the scorching wind but we don't know what God causes today or what he allows to happen or what happens just as a result of the the forces of nature. You know, this past fall, as every year, hurricanes came through, Hurricane Ian came through this fall, causing significant property damage and the loss of more than 100 lives. Recently, you know, if you've been reading in the news, you know, there have been nine consecutive rainstorms that have moved through California since the day after Christmas. Over 20 people have died. Tens of thousands remain without their homes. Did God cause these storms? Or were they part of the natural cause of atmospheric conditions that result in hurricanes or rainstorms? You know, it would be, it'd be great if we had a newspaper or a website where we could go and it would give us that divine insight, you know, that we could say, oh, well, this is what God's going to do with that event. But we don't have that, you know, and we can get into the deep end of the ocean, uh, pun intended, you know, when we try to figure out that fine line between God's providence his foreknowledge, his complete control over the world and not causing everything that happens. See, God does not cause all things, but he is able to cause all things to work together for good. And there's a fine distinction there. Romans 8 doesn't say that all things are good. You know, there are things that are bad, period. You know, and God doesn't make that bad thing good. You know, the death and destruction from storms are bad. School shooting is bad, period. Now, the fact that God is able to bring about some good from something that is bad is not the same as saying that the aftermath of a hurricane, a storm, a death can be good or is good. And with that's where we're left with lots of questions, you know. When those things happen, we want to know how. How is God going to bring about good in this terrible event? And again, this side of eternity, we may never know the answer to that question. That Chinese fable is our limited experience to be able to decipher how a bad event can be used for good. We're limited. Another illustration of that comes from Apple's new iPhone. Now, if you've seen the commercials about the iPhone iPhone 14 that came out, I think, this past fall, and there were a lot of commercials then, and I've begun to see more of them now. If you've seen that, and they're touting 
one of the new features of that phone. They call it crash detection. And it's supposed to call emergency services if you're in a car wreck. That the, the phone can tell when you've uh, been in a crash. The phone doesn't work perfectly in that regard. Sarah White, who's a dentist who lives in Cincinnati, was one of the first to purchase that new iPhone. And back this fall, in one of those nice, warm September Sunday afternoons, her and her family were at Kings Island. And they're riding the roller coaster, and she's got her brand new iPhone in her fanny pack. And they enjoy the roller coaster, and they get off, and she checks her phone, and she has several missed calls and a voice message from an emergency dispatcher. It seems that the crash detection feature cannot tell the difference between a roller coaster and a car crash. I'll let you make whatever application you want about roller coaster rides there, but while on the roller coaster, her phone called 911, thinking that she was in trouble. The phone can't tell the difference between something good and fun, a roller coaster ride, or something that's bad, a car crash. And this situation's happened to numerous other people as well. That's where we are in try- where we are in trying to determine what's good or bad or how good might come from a difficult situation. We don't have the eternal perspective to provide an answer on that. But we know, Paul says, that God works, and he works for good. So that's another part of this sentence that we need to uh, define. What is good? How is Paul using that word in this verse? You know, when he says God works all things for good, what's he referring to there? Now, we know what we want it to mean. (laughs) We want that good to mean that we're going to have the good life, that we want an easy life. One without trouble or hardship. You know, we want financial stability. We want good relationships in our family. We don't want the drama and the hard feelings. And we just, we want our family to get along. We want good health for ourselves and our family. We want our children to prosper, for them to have good lives, to have happy homes. Uh, We don't want them to struggle. That's the good that we want God to work out in our lives. That's not what Paul is talking about for us in Romans 8. Paul gives us a clue in verse 29 of what the good is. He says the good is to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God is working toward. God is working with a purpose, and that purpose is to make us more like Christ. You know, God didn't quit working after the sixth day of creation. It was the seventh day of the Sabbath, but in day eight, God got back to work. 
and he's been working throughout history. Jesus told the Pharisees that my, he says, my father is always at work and I am at work as well. What's God been working at? You know, from the moment Adam and Eve sinned and were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, God was preparing the world for the arrival of Christ. Jesus did the work of the Father on the cross to provide our salvation. And since then, God has been working in history, in our lives, to prepare us for the return of Christ. God is working with a purpose to bring all of creation back to the perfect world he created, the world that he intended for us to live in and enjoy with him. The verses before, Romans eight twenty eight. this afternoon, you can read through those, but Paul is talking about God is going to redeem all of creation, that all of creation was marred by sin, and God is working to restore it. And that's what God is doing in our lives to bring us to be more like Christ, to be conformed, to be shaped into the image of his son. That is the good that God is working toward in our lives. You know, the delay in hiring a new lead minister, as I've mentioned, it can teach us patience. It can teach us to trust all qualities that can make us more like Christ. The first part of that sentence of Romans 8, 28, Paul says, we know. We know that all things work together for good, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know, you know, that knowledge requires trust. You know, we cannot see how it all works together. We don't understand what good can come from a tragedy. It requires trust. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 become important verses for us in applying Romans 8 to our life. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. You know, there's kind of a circular cycle here of trusting in God with all our heart which means we won't lean on our own understanding. When we don't lean on our own understanding, we're submitting to God. And when we submit to God, he directs our paths. And when he directs our paths, he says we keep them straight. In other words, we're not going in circles. We're not spinning our wheels. God keeps us on the right track as we trust him, as we submit to him. And to some degree, Romans 8 applies in our life to the degree that we trust in the Lord and submit to him. See, Jonah was the exact opposite of Romans, or excuse me, of uh, Proverbs 3, to begin with, at least. He thought he knew better than God. He was unwilling to submit to God's direction and plan, at least initially. He was called according to God's purpose. God had a task for him in mind, And God had to orchestrate events to see that Jonah fulfilled that purpose. But what if Jonah had never had a change of heart in the belly 
of that great fish? What if Jonah had remained as obstinate and stubborn and continued in his refusal to go to Nineveh? All of those bad things, they would have been that. They would have just been bad things and Jonah probably would have died in that fish. Or he would have spit him out into the ocean for him to drown. It wouldn't have turned out for good in Jonah's life if Jonah didn't finally submit to the Lord and follow God's plan. You see, that was the, you know, the worst thing to happen in that story. It wasn't the storm, wasn't being swallowed by a, a fish. It was Jonah's unwillingness to submit to the Lord. God worked in his life to bring about good when Jonah submitted. Jonah was rescued and thousands of people in Nineveh repented and were saved. So God worked those things to good when Jonah submitted. Who do you trust to have the best plan for your life? Your own understanding, your own thoughts, your own opinions? Or do you trust that God knows best? We have to trust God. You, know, you may have heard the story of a young boy who was on the beach wanting to go swimming. He's walking up and down the beach and he, he sees a lady who's uh, sunbathing and uh, you know, just soaking up the sun and he walks up to her and just starts a conversation with her by saying, do you go to church? Uh, or she's, do you believe in God? And the lady says, yes, I do. He said, well, do you go to church every Sunday? Yes, uh, unless I'm sick or something. You know. okay, do you read your Bible and pray every day? Yes. Lady's curiosity is growing, you know, where this boy's headed. The boy finally sighs and says, will you hold my money while I go swimming? He was looking for somebody he could trust. We can trust God. And that's what we need to do, whether in a situation for our church or whatever we're facing in our lives. Trust that God works. And even more foundational than that, we have to trust that God is good. You know, the story of the rich young ruler, he, call, he comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God. So the rich young ruler says he went away sad because he wasn't willing to accept God's good plan for his life. He wanted to run his life. we have to hold on to the fact that God is good. And beyond that, we have to hold on to the fact that God loves us. 
And if you read the verses after Romans 28 and 29, that's what Paul is talking about there. He says, who can be against us if God is for us? Who can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, after four years of Bible college and almost four years of seminary, there's two things that I can tell you for sure. Two things that when my life is difficult, that's what I fall back on and hold on to. God is good and Jesus loves me God is good and Jesus loves me and everything else will fall into place I trust God for those two things in my life no matter what the circumstances around my life are and then we, those are the things we have to hold on to. You know, Romans 8.28 doesn't apply to every person, to every event in the world. Paul says they apply to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Or another way to say that, who live according to his purpose, who submit to his will for their lives. Romans 8 applies to us to the extent that we trust in the Lord, that he is good, and that he loves us. If we hold on to those things, we know we are secure whatever God's plans for us are, that God will work them to make us more like Christ, to bring about the ultimate good in our life. This morning, if you're outside of Christ, if you've never accepted his goodness, his mercy, you're living as Jonah was, running from God, it's an opportunity today for you to change that. After the service, if you want to talk to me or Adam or any of the other leaders here, we can help you with that decision. Maybe you've been a Christian for quite some time, but you've not been submitting. You've been doing it on your own. Now's the time to change that as well. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for, the, for today to come and worship you, to experience your goodness here, and to be reminded of how much you love us and care for us. Help us, Father, to hold on to those truths. Help us to live them. Help us to become more like Christ, that people would see Christ living in us and be drawn to you. Father, thank you for the forgiveness, for the life that we have in Jesus, and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.